today we wrap up our series, Praying the Bible. Um, and from the, from the beginning, from the very first uh, sermon that I preached on this, I shared with you that this was something that God had put in my heart for a very long time. That I've wanted to take prayers that are written out in the Bible and teach us how to pray the scriptures. This is something that I have done personally for 17 years. I have taken prayers from the Bible and I have prayed them. Oh, completely off track. I just got a text message from someone I haven't heard from in like 10 years and they said, hey, we just prayed for you at our church. I'm sorry, I was, <laughs> I was a little thrown. I don't normally get text messages on my computer when I'm speaking. So somewhere at some church, they're praying for us right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I don't know about you guys, but I have thoroughly enjoyed looking at these prayers from the Bible, breaking them down, and then praying them together. And I have noticed that as we've gathered together in prayer, we started with a week of prayer, and then when we're in the prayer room, that you are beginning to pray scriptures. And we've been using... Um, We've, we've been giving this book away, which is just literally called Praying the Bible, a book of prayers, and I'll give another one away today um, for you to empower you to pray the Bible. So have you ever experienced what I would call pushback after you have uh, gone through a great spiritual victory or you've done something like incredible in ministry you've seen something God has used you in a great way and then afterwards you're feeling this just kind of pushback you do something you know powerful for the Lord in ministry and it doesn't have to be in church it could be you know at your at your workplace in your neighborhood your school in your community recently we were talking to Josiah maybe four maybe four weeks ago and it was following he led worship at school and it was later in the afternoon, that, that afternoon evening, we were talking to him about how it went. And, and he was like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, and we watched, and it was powerful. It was a powerful time of worship. But afterwards, he's like, I don't know. I don't know if I was obedient to what God had for, you know, for us. I don't know if I listened, if I followed, if I, 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 I don't know. And he, and he was just having all these questions. And he said, I feel really low. I feel really bad about what happened. And, 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 but it was, it was an absolutely incredible time. Of, of ministry, of, of worship. And so we started talking him through this because he's really questioning himself and, and feeling just spiritual heaviness on his life. And we were talking him through and, and explaining, explaining to him, what, this is what we call, in our house, we call this prophetic backlash. That after you do something incredible for the Lord, you partner with the Lord, you see a personal spiritual victory or some great ministry moment that many times you feel this heaviness that comes on you and this, this, this attack and so we were talking him through this. And you see this in many places in scripture, right? Like Elijah, who stood on Mount Carmel and he challenged the, the, the great showdown with the prophets of Baal, 600 prophets of Baal. And they said, whoever's God answers by fire, let him be God. Right, and the prophets of Baal, 600 of them prepared their sacrifice and danced around and they called on God. And, you know, you read the story because Elijah made fun of them. You know, perhaps your God's on vacation or he's relieving himself and, and they're cutting themselves with swords and blood's flowing out and then nothing. And then Elijah steps up and he, he fixes the altar of the Lord and, and, and he, he puts the sacrifice on it. And he tells the people of Israel, he goes, dig a trench around it and now pour water on it and more water and more water until the trench filled with water and then he prayed a simple prayer and fire fell from heaven and not only consumed the sacrifice but consumed the rocks and all of the water 
this great, incredible moment. And there was this, this incredible turning back to the Lord, like revival came. And the people of Israel returned back to the Lord, and they killed all the prophets of, the, of Baal and returned to the Lord. And then Elijah receives a death threat from one person, from the queen. And he completely wigs out, and he runs off afraid for his life. He just killed 600 people, and he got a death threat from one person, and he runs off. That's prophetic backlash. When David, um, David was, was king of Judah, and then when he united the kingdoms, Judah and Israel, under one, he became king over both again. The Philistines immediately, when they heard that David was king over both kingdoms, they immediately attacked him and tried to, to, to take the throne from him. You read the story as David went down into the stronghold and prayed and sought, God, what, sh what should I do? See, that's prophetic backlash, this great, incredible moment in the history of Israel and the enemy comes in trying to take away what happened. Sometimes in, in, in those, those moments of, of spiritual high, you've done incredible things. The enemy tries to get in there and to take away what's happened. And so it's important for us as spiritual people to discern the why behind what is happening. What's taking place in your life? Is it just something in the natural? Maybe like I made a knucklehead decision and now I'm, I'm reaping that because I made some really bad decisions? Or is it just people who are jealous of me or, or, you know, like relational struggle? Or is there a spiritual side to what's taking place? It's important for us to discern the why behind the what that we are experiencing so that we can respond spiritually to spiritual issues. Because you don't deal with spiritual attack in a natural means. You deal with spiritual things on a spiritual level. And it doesn't mean that there's not going to be, you know, natural things that take place, but they all flow out of the spiritual response to the spiritual attack. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, right, he says, We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces and the wickedness of evil. So our, our, our fight, our struggle in this world is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people who don't like us or who are against us or people who, who hate God or hate Christians. That's not who our struggle's against. Our struggle's against the principalities and powers and wickedness behind them. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Acts. And we're going we're gonna to talk out of Acts chapter 4, verses 24 to 31. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 24. But before we get, and this is, this is the prayer, one of the prayers that the disciples pray, but before we get there, we need to have some context about how they got to this moment to pray this specific prayer. So if you've got your finger in Acts chapter 4, you can turn back a page and look at Acts chapter 3, because here we find Peter and John going to the temple, it says, at the time of prayer. Now this is the first thing that we find and that happens after the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit is poured out in the upper room. They're all filled with the Spirit. There's tongues of fire upon their heads. They begin speaking in these other languages. They spill out onto the street. Peter preaches. 3,000 people get saved. The very next thing that's recorded in the book of Acts is this. Peter and John going to the temple at the time of prayer. They're walking to the temple and they walk past a man who's crippled. And the Bible says that he was crippled from birth. And every day he was carried and he was put down in the same place, at the same gate, every day so that he could beg for money. Everybody knew who this guy was. Everyone in town. Because it says that he was over 40 years old. 
So he'd been sitting in the same place asking for money for decades. So if you ever went to the temple at the time of prayer, you saw him sitting there and he would ask you for money. Everybody knew who he was. So the crippled man saw Peter and John and they were walking into the temple and he began to ask them for money. And it says that Peter looked towards him and said to the crippled man, look at us. The crippled man turned his gaze towards them, expecting to get money. And then it says that Peter says this, I don't have any money for you, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And then it says that Peter and John took him by the hand and they pulled him to his feet. And he jumped up and instantly his legs were made whole. And he could stand. And it says that he began to jump and leap and run, praising God because he'd been healed. The people were filled with awe and wonder because remember, everybody knew who this guy was. There's a crowd that gathers. They're all filled with awe. And Peter takes the opportunity. He begins to preach to them. He preaches Jesus to the crowd of people. The religious leaders come with their security guards and they arrest Peter and John because they were preaching Jesus resurrected from the dead. That's why they got arrested. So Peter and John, they spend the night in prison. The next day, the religious leaders, they call them out of prison, and they have them stand before them, and they begin to question them. How did you heal that man? And they're, they're grilling them. They're interrogating them. And then their simple reply to the religious leaders is this, that it's through the name and the authority of Jesus, who you all crucified, and there's salvation found in no one else but him. So the relig- religious people, they threaten Peter and John And they warn them, don't you ever talk to anybody about Jesus ever again. They threaten them with violence, their lives. Peter and John basically told them, you guys can debate whether or not it's lawful for us to do what we're doing, but we're going to go ahead and keep telling people about Jesus. They leave from that place. If they're sent away after they were threatened, they leave from that place praising God for everything that happened. So that's a summary of Acts chapter 3 and most of Acts chapter 4. And then we find this prayer starting in verse 24, says they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, They have conspired against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31 says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is a spiritual response to a spiritual issue. See, first off, they recognized the why behind what had happened. The why behind what? What happened was that they healed a crippled man in Jesus' name. They preached to the crowd that gathered that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And then a couple thousand people got saved in that moment. Their subsequent arrest spending the night in prison, and then being threatened with their lives, that is rooted in the spiritual forces of wickedness trying to stop the advancing kingdom of Jesus. See, that's the why. 
behind what happened. See, knowing it's a spiritual issue, they responded in a spiritual manner through prayer. And there's three parts of this prayer that I want to highlight for us this morning. The first part is the position of God. The first thing they say, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. They declare that Jesus is still on the throne. Despite what they just experienced, they remind themselves that God is sovereign, which means that Jesus is king and he's in charge. He hasn't lost his grip on the kingdom. He didn't fall off the throne. He's not wondering what to do. He's still ruler of all things. You see, our circumstances have no effect on the position of Jesus. Good, bad, or otherwise. They have no effect on the position of Jesus. He is still seated on the throne. They go on and they say, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Listen, they're not reminding Jesus of his position and of his power. Jesus doesn't need to be reminded where he sits. He doesn't need to be reminded of his authority. He doesn't need to be reminded of what he can do through his power. We do. We need to be reminded See, the, the disciples are reminding themselves of Jesus' position. They're reminding themselves of his power. Because God knows he's still God. He knows he's all-powerful. But I need to be reminded. How often do we go through situations and circumstances, something takes us off guard, something traumatic happens or devastating happens, and then we are in panic mode. And we begin to act like God he, he, like he fell off the throne, like he, he's not in control, that he's not in charge, that he doesn't have the power to help us and to get us through. See, whatever you dwell upon grows. This is what they call the law of concentration. See, the more you think about something, the more it becomes your reality. So if you want to focus on your problem, you want to focus on your situation, your circumstances, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever spiritual attack that's coming against you, you want to focus on that, it's going to grow in your eyes and it's really going to become your reality. Your reality is that Jesus can't help you, that he doesn't have the power, that he doesn't have the authority because all you're focusing on is your problem. But the more that you make King Jesus your focus the more you will live your life in the realm of Jesus is in charge and that he is all-powerful. So instead of about talking, how, talking about how big your problem is, talk about how big Jesus is. Remind yourself that he's still on the throne. Remind yourself that he has all authority and that he has all power. Jesus is king. Full stop. Like, period. It's not a comma. It's not a semicolon. There's nothing else that needs to get added behind that. Jesus is king. That's the position of God. The second part of the prayer is the knowledge of God. They go on and they, what they, they do is they, they quote scripture. They're actually quoting Psalms chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. Where David, David is, is writing the psalm. And he prophesies how the rulers of the earth rallied together against God and the Messiah. That's, you know, he says the anointed one. That means the Messiah. And these, so the, the disciples, as they're praying this and they're quoting this, they're connecting the Old Testament prophecy to the crucifixion of Jesus. And in this, they also acknowledge that what took place was the plan of God all along. They, they say this, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Just because God knows what's going to happen, 
does not mean that he caused it. It's important for us to know and understand that. Nothing that took place, not the death of Jesus, not the resurrection of Jesus, not the arrest of the disciples, not the threats against them, came as a surprise to God. Because God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows what's going to happen, and that we can trust him to get us through what is happening. Because he knows, and he knew. It's not a surprise. See, we're not promised a pain-free, easy life. You don't find that promise in the Bible. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it's a direct result of poor choices and decisions that we've made, or something that was done to you, or a result of just life. I mean, if you just live life, bad things are going to happen to you. You're going to have bad days. Terrible things will happen. It's just a result of living in a broken world. But none of it takes Jesus by surprise. He knows. He knew it was coming. And he knows how to get you through it. See, our job is to seek him. Our job is to turn to him in prayer. Our job is to ask for help. And then our job is to follow his lead. It's not to figure out why, you know, like, like why this happened or, or how do I get my way through this or what's the strategy. No, 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 no. Our job is to seek him. Our job is to pray. Our job is to ask for help. And then our job is to be obedient. That's it. He will lead us through if we are obedient. But if, if, we, listen, if we're just going to panic and if we're going to freak out and we're going to try and solve problems on our own, then we're just going to get ourselves into a bigger mess and into a bigger trouble. But when we rely on him, when we understand that he already knew this was going to happen and he already knows how to get us through, so why don't we just ask him, Jesus, what's my next step? I don't have to know the whole sidewalk. I just have to know the next step. Just that one. And then when I get there, Jesus, show me what is the next step. What's the next thing that I need to do? There's nothing that God doesn't know. Or a time when he doesn't know what to do. And then the third part of the prayer is this. It's the ask. The ask of the disciples. They say, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They ask, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I find it very interesting. Very interesting. That they don't ask to be delivered from the persecution. They don't say, God, save us from this. They also don't ask God to defend their rights. What was done to them was wrong. They did nothing wrong. They, weren't, they didn't deserve to be arrested, but they're not praying, God, defend my rights. They're also not praying and asking for a change in leadership. God, change the leadership at the top level of the religious organization so that we can have the freedom to, to speak in Jesus' name. They don't ask for any of those things. No one said in the face of the persecution, they ask for boldness and they ask for power. Their lives are being threatened. And we know when you read through the rest of the book of Acts, these threats are not idle. These are not passive threats. Right? Stephen in Acts chapter 8 was stoned to death while Saul stood there and gave his approval. And then Saul was given authority to go throughout the entire country and arrest any Christians that he found. History tells us that every single one of the original apostles was killed for their faith in Jesus. Every single one of them. So these threats that Peter and John, that were made against them, these were not idle. These were real threats. People really lost their lives. People really went to jail. People were really beaten for their faith in Christ. 
Across the world, every single day, eight Christians are killed for their faith. Every day. 183 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. And 309 Christians around the world are imprisoned every month. That's persecution. The top 10 countries where it's the most difficult to be a follower of Jesus are this. North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Sudan, Yemen, Iran, and India. See, in these places, people are genuinely hurt, abused, arrested, and lose their lives for following Jesus. I've never been beaten for being a follower of Jesus. I've never been thrown in jail. I have been mocked and made fun of. When I was a, early on as a, as, a, as a Christian, I was maybe a couple, maybe been a follower of Jesus for a couple months. One night, I think it was like a Saturday night, I was asleep on my couch in my apartment and I had a friend break into my apartment while I was asleep on the couch and he, he jumped on me as I was sleeping on the couch and he sat on me and he refused to let me up and he was yelling and screaming at me and he says, I'm not letting you up until you come to your senses. And he was talking about my, my newfound faith in Jesus. See, the problem was that I'd already come to my senses and I chose Jesus. See, we might experience a small level of, of, of persecution, being mocked or name-called, but we don't experience anything on the level of physical harm like we hear about in some countries. And you know, like, when Afghanistan, when, the, when, the, you know, when we pulled out and, and Afghanistan, the government crumbled, and there were Christians there, Afghanistani Christians, that refused to leave. Because who's going to tell them about Jesus if we all leave? No follower of Jesus should ever be surprised when they're persecuted for their faith. The real surprise is if they've never been persecuted. So in the face of this persecution, the disciples pray for great boldness. And this is an interesting word. It's an interesting word in the Greek that really loses its punch when it gets interpreted to us and we read as boldness. Because it's much more than just being bold. What it means, it means to say everything that's on your mind with no restraint. Words flowing out of the heart with confidence. It refers to speech that's not tailored to make everybody happy. But to speak the truth, despite what that might cost them in speaking the truth. It means unrestrained boldness. See, we need the boldness to speak the truth with confidence, allowing everything that's in our heart and in our spirit to flow out of us without restraint. May we not tailor our words to make people happy, but may we speak the truth without hindrance. Now let me tell you, because I feel like this is important. Let me tell you what this does not mean. This is not a license to be a jerk. We are not looking to crush people or purposely offend them. The gospel is offensive enough. We don't need to add our offensiveness on top of how offensive the gospel is. We can proclaim the truth without being knuckleheads. 
John chapter 1 and verse 14 says that Jesus came overflowing with tender mercy and truth. Tender mercy and truth. Jesus was overflowing with these. Tender mercy in, in the Greek also means pleasure or sweetness or delight. Family, the goal is to win people to Jesus, not drive them away. We also don't lower the bar of truth so that people, it's easier for someone to swallow and it's easier for someone to handle. Like, truth is truth. We're not going to dumb it down so that we can attract more people. That, no, that, that will never happen. But we're also not going to beat people over the head with truth. Because Jesus came overflowing with sweetness, tender mercy, and truth. Right? If you're just full of sweetness, you just have this fluffy, squishy gospel that's just really watered down. It's, it's like everything goes and everything's okay. God loves us. It's, live your life however you want. It's going to be okay in the end because God is love. Not true. Right? But if you're over here on the other side and you're just all truth and beating people over the head with the truth all the time, you're going to crush them. See, if Jesus came and just unrestrained full weight of the truth on us, we would have been crushed. But he came full of tender mercy, sweetness, and truth. The disciples asked for boldness, but they also asked for great power to flow through their lives in demonstrations of the miraculous, healing the sick, performing signs and wonders and miracles. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'd like to suggest to us that there is a realm of supernatural power and authority in Jesus that opens up to us when we experience persecution. See, the kingdom of heaven is our inheritance in Jesus, right? So when we breathe our last here and we breathe our first in heaven, that's inheritance. We go to be with Jesus forever. That's the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven is also here on earth. It's here and now because Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. It's within you. It's now. See, it's heaven on earth, seeing the kingdom of God overrule the natural laws of the earth with miraculous power. This is the kingdom of heaven that's given to those who are persecuted. See, they were experiencing persecution and they received increased power from Jesus for healing and for signs and wonders. If you read the rest of the book of Acts, from this prayer on in the rest of the book of Acts, there is a dramatic and drastic increase in signs and wonders and miracles from this prayer. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, the very next chapter, it says that at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place. It also goes on to say that as Peter was walking down the street, that people would rush to get those who are sick and those who are lame and crippled to, to, to line, the, line the streets so that Peter's shadow might fall on them because his shadow was healing people. Peter wasn't even praying for people or laying hands on them, but his shadow was healing them. Maybe we weren't meant to run from persecution. Maybe we weren't meant to fight persecution, but instead lean into it and seek the power of God to flow through us despite the persecution. After they finished praying, there was a great earthquake. It says everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to declare the word of God with great boldness. Family, I believe that this 
prayer needs to be continually on our lips as we seek the power of the Holy Ghost to fill us up so that we can leave this place and go out to wherever it is that God would take us, to the marketplace, to your school, to your family, to your neighborhood, to your community, so that we can spill out. We are filled so that we can spill. So we're going to pray this prayer together. I want us all to stand. But before we pray this prayer together, I want to invite you to come forward. Because what we're going to do is we're going to pray this prayer together and then we're going to anoint you and lay hands on you and pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your life. For a fresh outpouring. To receive fresh fire. A fresh filling on your life. So if that's something you'd like, you'd like for us to lay hands on you and believe God's going to fill you again in a fresh new way, then I'm going to ask you to come forward before we pray this prayer together. And don't wait for someone else to come. Just come. Because we're going to believe for a fresh filling and a fresh release of boldness and a fresh release of power on your life. Guys, that's the, that's the way that we were meant to live. And these signs shall follow those who believe, it says at the end of the book of Mark. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. They will cast out demons. They will raise the dead. These are the things that are supposed to follow us. We don't run around chasing them. They actually chase us. All right, that's the one. So we're going to pray this together. And I, I was told the last time that I did this, I read really fast and I pray really fast. <laughs> I'm sorry, I get really excited when I pray the scripture and so I just start reading really, really fast. So I'll try and slow down so that we can pray it all together. <laughs> and then when we get to the end, I'm going to ask our pastoral staff, I got some bottles of anointing oil over here and we're going to come around, we're going to just lay hands on you, we're going to anoint you and believe for that fresh feeling, that fresh outpouring. Okay, are you ready? All right. Lord, you are the Lord of all. You created the universe, the earth, the sky, the sea, and everything that is in them. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit through your servant David, our forefathers saying, how dare the nations plan a rebellion, ranting and raging against the Lord Most High. Their foolish plots are futile. Look at how the kings of the earth take their stand with the rulers scheming and conspiring together against God and his anointed Messiah. Empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. Stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your Holy Spirit. But I need to be reminded. How often do we go through situations?